Well, good afternoon, Genesis. So good to see you. My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here and genuinely excited that you're here. If you've been here uh, a couple weeks, a couple months, if you've been here 10 years, uh, excited that God has something for you this morning. And I'll be honest with you, I'm excited about today as well. I'm excited to share with you some of the things that God has been doing in me and, and teach me in the last few weeks. Uh, as a church, for the last 11 days, uh, we've been praying this question, God, where do you want me to invest in the next decade? If I can just be straight with you, this question's kind of done a number on me. Because as a staff, we started praying through this question in the first week of December. And almost immediately as I began praying through, okay, God, what do you want me to do this upcoming decade? God just started bringing to the surface uh, a lot of stuff that I think has been swimming deep down in my soul for a while now. Namely, I've been confronted with the idea that, that God's kingdom, it's great to think about, and fun to talk about, even interesting to theologize about. But when I look at my life, so much of my life is my kingdom. And so it's kind of turned into this six weeks of prayer and reflection that kind of morphed into like holistic re-examination of kind of where I'm at. And if I can just be honest with you this morning, I'm not that satisfied with my prayer life. I'm not that satisfied with how my life looks, how, what, what my faith looks like. And so don't get me wrong, like, I pray every day. I'm a big believer in discipline, so I have a pretty uh, rigorous daily routine of word and prayer. I think it's good and important, and I'm trying my hardest in all these different things, but all of it, it just, like, has the stench of my kingdomness. And so then we come to this question of, how should I invest in the kingdom in this upcoming decade? And where my mind has gone is, well, what did I do last decade? Like, what have I been doing with the past 10 years of my life? I mean, let me just ask you, would you be totally satisfied, even joyful, if in this upcoming decade you just replicated what you did last decade? Like, would you be pumped if you just put your life on a loop, if you just let it repeat, restart, and everything that happens just gets to happen again in the next 10 years? So I'm not sure how you would answer that, but I can tell you how I would answer that. Not even close. Like, not even kind of. And again, don't get me wrong here. God moved in my life in the last 10 years. He did incredible things. All of it was from him for me. It was his grace to me. I'll have an eternity to praise him for it. But when I look at my side of things, like with my life, not even close. Like I wasted so much time in the past 10 years. And so the thought of just put it on repeat, just let it loop, that's like suffocating to me. See, I think what this question of how should I invest in God's kingdom in the next decade has revealed about me is I have like this growing holy discontentment in me. I got this discontentment that I'm not satisfied with how things have been. I got this discontentment that I don't want to settle for just the same last 10 years. 
See, because as I step into the new decade, specifically for me, I'm kind of making the turn and I'm kind of stepping into a new season of life. And I'm kind of, 2020 starts, I'm not a kid anymore. Lord willing, I won't have to go to school anymore. I'm married now. I have a child now. I have a career now. And so I'm kind of stepping into the rest of my life, sort of knowing what the rest of my life is going to look like. And if I make the turn uh, to 30 in a couple of years, and it's the same prayers about myself, same lack of faith, same risk-free living, just kind of settling for what things have been, goodness, count me out. I want no business with that. Like, I got this holy discontentment. It's like this, it's this desperation to see God's kingdom move in ways I haven't seen before. It's like this refusal to settle for the status quo. I'm not just going to let my prayer life be like it was. I'm not just going to passively sit on my hands and just kind of take whatever the world has for me and, and kind of see what happens, just kind of go through my day, go through my week, go through my month, go through my year. Just a product of what's happening. Like it's a discontentment that no, I want to see God's kingdom move. I want to see God's kingdom move in ways I haven't seen before. It's like when I get to 2030, no, I got this discontentment that when I look back at these 10 years, it's going to be a different story. That this will not smell like Kyle's kingdom. That stench is going to be gone. Like I just got this healthy anxiousness that this has got to be about God. This has got to be about the name and the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ. It's this healthy discontent or holy discontentment that if we want to be kingdom people, we can't settle for just lackadaisical, boring crap. So God's been bringing this all this stuff out of me. And as I've been thinking about it, I just think that I'm not alone in this feeling. I, I just have to believe that all around, we're kind of sick and tired of making everything about ourselves. I have to believe that just all of us living for our own kingdoms is trying to make our life a little nicer. I got to believe we're getting tired of it. Because when we talk about the kingdom of God and, and our personal kingdom, like, how much time last year did you spend thinking about your kingdom? Thinking about how to make everything better for you? God's entrusted all of us with time. Right? It says in James, like, make good use of your time. So he's probably given us, what, 75, 80 years? Well, if you look at your time last year, how much of it was spent Facebook, Instagram, how much was spent just sitting on the couch watching dumb TV? How much was spent reading some random dumb book about nothing? And it's not that like anything that stuff is inherently bad. But when you talk about a holy discontentment, what, what terrifies me personally, we don't measure those numbers in minutes or days. We measure those numbers in weeks and months. 
And so I got to believe if we want to be kingdom-minded people and we want to have uh, like this focus on God's kingdom, there's got to be a, a more general discontentment that God has to have more for us. I have to believe that's true in this room. The question is how? How would we actually see God's kingdom blow up? How would we see God's kingdom expand in ways that we've never seen before? How would we get to 2030 and look back and just have stories of, you will never believe the last 10 years of my life? How do we take it from a nice big decade size idea and how do we actually see it materialize? If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Acts. I was uh, flying back from uh, Minneapolis to Boston uh, earlier this week, and I just, in, in light of all that God's been doing in me, I just felt like God had something for me in the book of Acts. And so it's like a two and a half hour flight or so. And so I was like, hey, God, I'm just going to sit in Acts and read from beginning to end and just kind of see what you have for me. 30,000 feet in the air. I think I found the secret sauce to God-sized movements. You ready for it? Prayer. If you and I want to see God move, if we want to actually see God's kingdom reach areas that seem unreachable, we have got to be a people to pray. That's it. And so today I just want to walk you through the book of Acts and show you how the church exploded through prayer. See, the book of Acts, it's like the sequel to the Gospels. It's actually written by a guy named Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so if the Gospels are about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his mission, his purpose, Acts is what happened next. What happened after Jesus was crucified? And that's how Acts starts. Acts starts with the risen Christ. He just rose from the grave. And he's talking to the disciples who are now apostles. And what the risen Christ says, he gives them this commission. He says, go to the ends of the earth, tell everyone the good news of who I am, of what I've done, that they can have a relationship with God through me. He says, go, and then Jesus flies away. Like, it's this really weird thing. He just floats into the sky and flies away. And so you think, like as you read, you're on the edge of your seat thinking, okay, what are the apostles going to do? How are they going to go and accomplish this kingdom-sized movement? First thing we read about the apostles in verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. The first thing they do is pray. Don't miss what's happening in the narrative they just spoke to a guy who rose from the dead. He just said, go everywhere, tell everyone, and then he flies into the sky. The first thing they do, we're going to pray. And then Acts continues. And they kind of get to this ministry crossroads where they need to find a 12th leader to help them lead this movement, this kingdom movement that God just gave them, that Christ just told them to go. And so it's kind of this, again, anxiety-filled moment of, okay, how will they proceed? Ten verses later, verse 24, and they prayed. 
and God revealed how the kingdom should go forth with the leadership. Keeps writing the book of Acts. Get to chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes in ways that had never come before. Peter, who used to be a coward, now is filled with courage. He preaches this sermon. 3,000 people come to decide to follow Jesus and trust him, trust him with their lives. Right? Like, so if there's ever now a moment for the church to capitalize on the momentum, this is it. Because now we're cooking with gas. Thousands are getting saved. They're going out. They're telling. So, okay, buckle the chin strap. Let's go. We're going to play the game. It's time to rock. What characterized the church? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, in the prayers. And they continued to pray, and God's kingdom continued to expand, and thousands of people were being saved. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, to pray. And as they're going to pray, they end up healing this guy. And the guy they heal, he gets all excited, stirs up the whole city with what just happened for him. Peter preaches again. 5,000 more people decide to trust in Jesus with their lives. And now all of a sudden, the, the city officials are getting all worked up. Because they thought, well, I thought this Jesus stuff would die out once we crucified the guy. So how come so many thousands and thousands of people are following after him? And so they look at the apostles, Peter and John, infused with the power of prayer, and they bring them in. They threaten them, harass them, berate them, accuse them. They say, if you don't stop talking about Christ, this will not end well for you. And they kick them out of the temple. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends, reported to the chief priests and the elders what had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In the kingdom of God, it continues to expand and explode and extend to the ends of the earth. Why? Because what God is teaching us is that only after four chapters, the kingdom grows when people pray. Prayer, that is the method, that is the mode in which God uses to grow his kingdom. If you and I want to invest in the kingdom in a game-changing way, if you got this holy discontentment, if you don't want to settle for just what things have been and you want to see something crazy in your life, if you want to see the kingdom of God reach places that seem like they can't be touched, we have got to be a people who are known by our prayer. Because the kingdom of God grows when people pray. That's what changes things. When I was a young kid, I remember my grandparents would come visit. And they would come visit from the cornfields of Wisconsin. And so just imagine 
the most stereotypical old Midwestern farmer people. They would come in with tons of pickles, everything canned in a jar. So then they would come, and I would get kicked out of my bedroom and sent to sleep on the couch in the living room. Well, the way the living room of the house was set up was the living room was pretty close to where my bedroom was. And I remember as a young kid, I would lay on that couch, and I could not fall asleep because all I could hear was grandma and grandpa praying. And it seemed like they would pray for hours and hours and hours. And they would pray for every grandchild by name. And I didn't realize it then, but looking back on it now, it's because grandma and grandpa had a holy discontentment. They weren't just satisfied with happy, healthy grandkids. They wanted to see the kingdom of God grow and expand in their grandchildren's lives. And so they wouldn't give an inch. They would pray and they would pray every night. I'm thoroughly convinced the reason I love Jesus and I'm running after him is because grandma and grandpa prayed. And I have two brothers. I'm convinced the reason they both love Jesus and are running after him is because grandma and grandpa prayed. See, the kingdom of God grows when people pray. And my grandfather has since passed away. But if you talk to my grandmother now, she's like 88. She has decades worth of stories of watching God's kingdom explode. And she'd be the first person to tell you, it's because I prayed. Like, why would you expect it to explode if you wouldn't pray? And here's what's hard for me. If the kingdom of God grows by prayer, and I know that to be true here, I've seen that to be true as evidenced by grandma and grandpa and a hundred other stories I could tell. Why is it that it's so hard for me to pray? Why is it so hard for me just to sit and be with God? Like, do I even want that? Do I even want to want that? Because if this holy discontentment's real, if there is this thing inside of me that is, you're not done, and you're going to run till your feet bleed after Christ, and you're going to see that kingdom explode, if this is real, if people talked about me, they could say a lot of things, I think. Here's what they wouldn't say. Kyle, that cat prays. That dude, that dude gets with God often. They wouldn't say that about me. That's a problem. Because if we want to see the kingdom of God grow, we've got to be a people that pray. Kind of looking out there, and some of you don't look convinced. You look like there needs to be more. Let's keep rolling through Acts. Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. 6, 6. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. 
8.14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 9.10. When the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, go to the street, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. 9.40, but Peter put them all outside, knelt down, and prayed. 10.2, Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously. 12.5, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 12.12, 12. When he realized this, he went to the mother of John, where many were gathered and were praying. For the sake of time, I need to stop now. We're not even halfway through the book. I cannot simplify this any more than the Bible does. The kingdom of God grows when people pray. If we want to invest rightly this next decade... If you are sick of the status quo, if you just don't want to kind of mosey through life and passively just accept all these things and, oh, God uses me great. If he doesn't use me, whatever. Like, I'll just kind of keep doing my own thing. Like, if you're sick and tired of that, we have got to be a people who are known by prayer. Because I think it's great if you think, hey, how do I want to invest this decade? I'll invest my time in the church. That's awesome. I'll invest my talent in the church. That's great. You have gifts. Use them. I'll invest my treasure and resources into the church. That's fantastic. Like, ministry needs resources. You can build a really nice, big, healthy church without the kingdom ever growing. Because if you want to see the kingdom grow, we have got to be a people who pray. If you don't want to just get to 2030... Not that really many stories to tell. Kind of went through it. Kind of got pushed around by a lot of different things. But 2030 to 2040, that's my decade. That's the one I want. If you don't want to just waste the next 10 years of your life, hear me. Goodness, guys, we have got to be people who pray. Question is this. What do you pray for? Like, what should be the content of our prayers? Because again, clearly, something different's happening here. If in the book of Acts there was a chapter about your life, would it make sense? Would it just naturally flow well? Right, if you open up, you start reading. Okay, Peter prayed. Thousands got saved. Oh, and then Paul prayed. Churches got planted all around the globe. Kyle prayed. And then he kind of went back to doing his own thing, kind of living for himself, kind of apathetic about most things. My life would not make sense in the book of Acts. And so if we're looking down the barrel of the next 10 years, and we want to be invested in the kingdom in a way that we see the kingdom move in ways that we haven't seen it before, what should we be praying about? I want to take a survey. I need everyone to participate. I'm going to take a poll. Show of hands. 
Raise your hand if you personally know someone who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All right, look around the room. That's hundreds of people. Okay, put your hands down. This time, don't raise your hand. But here's the question. Do you care? And I know we all care. But I mean, do you really care? Are you praying for that person? Are you pleading with that person that just you got to know Christ? You got to know the gospel. You got to understand this life. You got to know it's offered to you. Because that's the prayer. The prayer that God uses that the kingdom grows, that changes things. It's God, Father, please open the eyes of my mom. Father, please open the eyes of my brother. Please open the eyes of my friend. Please open the eyes of my coworker. Please, the eyes of my neighbor. Father, you got to open their eyes. Holy Spirit, please soften their heart. Jesus, please invade their lives. Would you save them for yourself, for your glory? That's the prayer. But then, you go and you tell them about Jesus. Because what do you think they're praying for in the book of Acts? Jesus gives them the great commission. They pray. What happens here? Father, help us build your kingdom. Spirit, empower us to go out and to preach the gospel. Let us have favor in the eyes of the people we encounter. Father, please open their hearts to receive the gospel. But we just want to see your kingdom grow. So please, Father, do that. That's what they're praying about. And then they boldly, with love, with patience, with grace, with nuance, but they go in the confidence that the Holy Spirit does the work, and they proclaim the gospel. The kingdom of God grows when people pray. That's the prayer. That's the prayer that changed the world. Like, make no mistake, let this sit on you for one second. The only reason that we're all in the same room together right now in 2020 in Massachusetts because people in the book of Acts prayed. And then they went and they told someone. That's what we're doing here. If we get to 2030 and we haven't prayed for anyone, we haven't told anyone the gospel, why in the world would you expect your hand not to be raised? If we can't start there, why would you expect anything to change? No, just the status quo. Someone else can do it. They'll make their way to church eventually. I mean, they might hear a song on the radio. Someone else's job to do. What are we talking about? If we want to see the kingdom of God grow, we have got to be a people that pray. And you pray for the people who do not know Christ, and then you boldly, in love and grace and all these things, you tell them about Christ. One of the greatest preachers of all time, his name was D.L. Moody. Moody uh, was a pastor in Chicago, uh, but because he was extraordinarily gifted, he was invited to preach all around the world. And so one of his first trips to England, he's preaching on a Sunday morning, to this church. And it's one of those sermons, it's just not going well. 
he's not really feeling it. The people aren't really feeling it. It's just kind of like a sermon that's 20 minutes too long. It's just swing and a miss, bad sermon. I've heard they're terrible to have, but I don't know. <laughs> he gets to the end of the sermon, and very characteristic of Moody, he gives a gospel invitation. He says, if you would like to trust in Christ with your life and follow him, please stand. Unsurprisingly, nobody stood. To make matters worse, he was scheduled to come back and preach that night. So Moody leaves, goes, has lunch, comes back. He starts preaching the night service. And almost immediately, Moody feels something different, like the atmosphere in the room's changed. And he's preaching, and he's just giving it good, and the people are just like, yeah, keep it coming, keep it coming. They're on the edge of their seat, and they're just hanging on every word that he says. And so Moody gets to the end of the sermon. He says, okay, if you want to trust in Christ with your life today, please stand. And to Moody's surprise, all around the room, people are standing up. Moody's not convinced what he just saw. So he says, okay, please sit back down. He says, I'm going to do this again. So he preaches the gospel, turns up the heat a little bit, gets to the end, says, okay, if you want to commit your life to Christ now, please stand up. More people stand up the second time than the first. He's still not convinced. He sits everyone back down. It's a true story. He says, okay, I want to make sure you actually know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to talk about the gospel one more time. And if you actually want to give your life to Christ and follow him, meet me in the side room after I dismiss. So he preaches the gospel again, cranks up the heat a little bit more, really feeling it, dismisses the people, comes down to the side room, standing room only. The people are falling out of the room. There's so many people who want to give their life to Christ. Moody's still not convinced that these people actually know what they're talking about. So he says, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm going to preach the gospel And then I want you to go home. And I want you to really think about this tonight. That if you really want to give your life to Christ. Because Moody had to leave the next day. He said, come back and your pastor will be here tomorrow night to speak with you. So Moody preaches the gospel one more time. He sends everybody home. He leaves the next morning. A couple days later, he gets a telegraph from the pastor of the church. The telegraph says, Moody, you got to get back to town. More people showed up Monday night than were even here Sunday night. God is doing something in this city. Moody comes back, and long story short, it's one of these cases in church history where revival breaks out, and like 95% of the town ended up giving their life to Christ that weekend. So Moody's back in this church, and I love about the story, he's an inquisitive guy. And he wants to figure out, okay, like what happened? What happened from... Sunday morning, everyone's falling asleep in the pew. Sunday evening, everyone's following Christ. He does a little research. He finds out about this bedridden woman who's in the town. And the bedridden woman was ill, and she couldn't make it to church on Sunday morning. But her sister did. So her sister goes to church, and for lunch, comes and brings the uh, lunch to her bedridden sister, And the sister asks, well, how was church? She says, it was okay. 
There was a guest preacher, D.L. Moody, who came, but nothing really happened. The sister sits up out of bed. D.L. Moody? I've heard of this man's preaching, how God has blessed him in America. I've been praying that he would come to this city, to this church. She said, set aside my food. I'm going to fast and pray today that many people might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Same preacher, same people, same place. The only difference between people falling asleep and people following Christ One woman's willingness to set aside her food, sit up, and pray. Who among us, this next decade, is willing to set aside their food, sit up, and pray? Who's willing to take that on? Who's willing to see God's kingdom move and will do anything? to see his move. Why in the world would we settle for anything less? Who just wants to float through life? Who just wants to read about great stories here? Man, I was so exhausted when I was in seminary. All these kids, if you just go back to the early church and just act like the early church, we could just see things like the early church. You can have it. Would you set aside your food? Would you sit up and would you pray? Because God's kingdom grows when people pray. This holy discontentment, man. God's not letting me off the hook. I'm done with all this. There's got to be something more. We just raised our hands about people in our lives who do not know Christ. Collectively as a church, 800-ish hands went up. Would we be willing to sit up and pray? And in the next 10 years, 800 people would be added to the kingdom. What if we could get 1,800 people added to the kingdom? Would that make you sit up and pray? Would that make me sit up and pray? There's 5.8 million people in Boston. What if 8,000? 8,000 people right now who do not know Christ who would spend eternity away from him. If we would just pray. God's kingdom grows when people pray. I'm done making excuses. I'm done sitting on my hands. God does the work, but he anoints the prayer. Because this is basically what we're saying if we don't want to pray. All of us are great, 
but all the people out there, they can just go to hell. <laughs> no. God's kingdom grows when people pray. We will see a movement. In 10 years, we will look back, we will have stories to tell. Set down the food, sit up and pray. I can't wait for the next 10 years. I'm glad it starts now. Let's pray together.